Mindfulness Mode 173. We as children, we came out wired for joy and being in the present moment and playing with our toys for, you know, long stretches and just having fun. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks so much for joining us again today. And today, we, as always, talk with people from all walks of life to discover how mindfulness has impacted their lives. And it's a CBS news anchor today. Well, at least she's an ex-news anchor. She was so fed up with with the news, with being exposed to the negative side of the world, that she quit her job as a news anchor and became a full-time happiness researcher. You're going to hear all about what she did after that, so sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show, Mindful Tribe. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited today to have Michelle Geelan on the line. Hey, Michelle, are you in mindfulness mode? I am, and with a big smile on my face, too. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Michelle is a researcher, a best-selling author, and she's so enthusiastic about happiness and mindfulness. And she's the author of a book called Broadcasting Happiness. With experience as a TV anchor, Michelle believes that by helping to make others happier and more successful, we feel happier, too. And I can certainly agree with that. She says, we've all been told countless times, You can't change other people. But this societal belief is not only disempowering, it's certainly surprisingly, scientifically false, she says. Michelle and her husband, Sean Acor, are partnering with PBS for an Inspire Happiness television special to be aired this December, which is now, and continuing on in 2017. So, Michelle, what is mindfulness to you? What does that mean to you? Well, I study how uh, the broadcast that we have influences the people around us. And I'm not talking about on the news. I'm actually talking about our own personal broadcast because, you know, and as I know, many people realize we as as parents, as teachers, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, we're constantly transmitting information to the people around us. So I'm looking at the influence that those messages have on the people around us, on how they move through stress, change, and challenges, and how that in turn impacts our own happiness. And at the core of it is mindfulness, because when we are more mindful about our influence on other people, we realize that we actually have incredible power. We can live in the moment. We can be careful about the things we say in in a positive way. And then we can actually have a net positive effect on the people around us. You know, central to the work we do, it's at businesses. And we look at how when a leader, for instance, or your colleague changes their broadcast in a mindful way, how that influences every single business and educational outcome that we know how to track. So how can we change others without it coming across like we're, we're just trying to push them, we're trying to control them? Yeah, mind <laughs> control and mindfulness, <laughs> not the same thing. No. <laughs> um, well, so I think one of the keys is to realize that, uh, you know, when we change our broadcast, we can push people in a positive direction. Uh, and, and it's about empowering them to be the best of who they are. So we've looked at our personal broadcast and sort of the elements of it that have that positive influence on other people. And what we find 
is it's three things. It's when you uh, broadcast an optimistic mindset. So in the face of challenges, do you expect good things to happen? Do you believe that your behavior matters? Then how do you view a stressful event? Is it a stress where your brain goes into fight or flight? Or is it a challenge where you think, hey, we can overcome this challenge if we stay linked to one another? And then the last uh, part of our broadcast that's so key is how much value we put on providing support to the people around us. Are we there to be linked up with them, to support them through challenges, and therefore expressive of that so that they don't feel like when a challenge strikes, they're by themselves? So what we find is, for instance, when managers are starting to express them more deeply along these three lines, uh, they are able to fuel productive energy of their entire team by 31%, you know, a 31% change in just three weeks. Um, It's amazing to see that those small changes have actually significant impacts on on so many central parts of our business and our home life. Well, this is really interesting. And I love how you talk about how every one of us is like a broadcaster, like we're broadcasting. Tell me how you came up with that. Well, what happened was, so originally I was working at CBS News. I was a national news anchor there and I had two programs. And, you know, I felt very grateful to have achieved, uh, you know, uh, that kind of position. Sounds like a dream job. Yes. uh, I mean, I'd worked so hard for it. And then I get there and I see that our you know, newscasts, which uh, this part was no surprise. Our newscasts were full of stories of murder, death, destruction, natural disasters, et cetera, right? right? Very negative. Yes. But, and then the recession hits and we're doing these incredibly emotional stories of people losing their homes and their jobs and their Mm. retirement savings. And it was at that point that I started to analyze the newscast. Is this just merely a problem of too many negative stories to positive ones? Or is there something deeper going on there. And what I came to see was the deeper problem was that we were actually talking about challenges in the wrong way, in a way that leaves everyone, viewers or the people going through the challenge and actually even the journalists feeling disempowered, helpless and hopeless. Whereas if we change the story, if we start focusing on different a different set of facts that are equally true, we all of a sudden start to see the p- potential for a new reality. And so, you know, I, I'm a scientist. I love experiments. And so <laughs> at the height of the recession, I said, you know, on national television, let's try an experiment. And we experimented with this idea called Happy Week, where every time we broadcasted a problem, we talked about a solution. And mm. so we brought in experts in the field of positive psychology to talk about, hey, you are as you know, a, as a breadwinner um, experiencing financial challenges and fighting maybe with your spouse. Let's talk about how to handle it. Maybe your kids are not doing well in school because of the stresses at home. Let's bring in an expert to tackle that. We got the greatest viewer response of the year but what was more exciting was, um, you know, that people's lives were transformed. And now in the research, what we see is two uh, two recent studies that we did that I think exemplify sort of the switch there and what happened. Three minutes of negative news in the morning can lead to a 27% higher likelihood of reporting your day as unhappy as reported six to eight hours later. 
That was a study that I did with Ariana Huffington and researcher and husband, Sean Acor. Um, and what so what it shows us is that negative mood and mindset we adopt in the morning, it sticks with us through our time at work and our time with our families. But when we flip the formula of how we consume and talk about uh, you know, negative news and we pair talking about a problem with dis- a discussion of a solution, we actually find that you prime other people to be have a 20% increase in creative problem-solving abilities, they feel better, and they overall do better during the course of their day. So it shows us we can talk about the negative, we just have to do it in a slightly different way than we're doing right now. So it's just a matter of education then, educating the public how to deal with this negative news. Yes, absolutely. And these are principles that managers, many of them already do this, but they, if they don't, they can bring this into their work life more, uh, more often. And that's, so that's the work I do now, which is uh, helping managers see that they already have a lot going on that's already right with their teams, right? So how do you capitalize on that positive potential there? And then for the, you know, people who are very negative, we all have one or two of these on our team. Mm -hmm. How do you propel them in a more positive way or at least minimize their toxic effects? Yeah, we really can make a difference by just educating and teaching. But let's say i Let's say I'm married to a person who is very, very negative, and I'm not, by the way, but if, if I were, how could I take that negativity and turn it upside down and, and help her to become more positive, and then I would feel more positive? Yeah, so it's so funny you're asking that because in you know towards the beginning of when I started giving talks at companies, I would finish up the talk and inadvertently, if I did a question and answer session, one of the very first questions would be something along those lines. So finally, I included some information within the talk that they could take home with them to, right. to their spouses. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so, well, the the great thing is, first of all, Know your power, know your power to influence this other person because you have so many touch points, you're spending so much time with them that you do rub off on them. You might not be able to quantify the effects yourself, right? But people do change over time and you can have a positive influence. And the key to doing that is two things. First of all, raise your levels of positive expressivity about the good things going on and then try to engage the other person in a habit like that. So uh, I'll give you an example. It was a story that I absolutely love. So we did this work with this guy he sold his company for $100 million. And you would think he'd go home that night and he would just have the biggest celebration and be so happy. Yes. But actually at two in the morning, he ended up having a nervous breakdown. And yeah, and the reason was because he had devoted so much attention to this baby, right? This mm-hmm. this company, and now that was gone. Yes, he had the money, of course, but, but he, the thing that he loved so much spending his time on poof, gone. He didn't have a relationship with his children or his wife. He was nervous that she was going to divorce him. And then also this was a fast food company. He'd eaten too much of his own sandwiches. So he was extremely overweight. And so at two in the morning, his wife turned to him and said, honey, I'm not going to divorce you, but I am going to take you out for a walk. And so they went to the local track down the street and they went for a walk. um, And she said, what I want to do here tonight Let's talk about what we're grateful for. Mm -hmm. So she got him to do that, and he felt a little bit better that night. The next night, they did it again. He felt a little better. Now, cut to two weeks later, he's feeling significantly better thanks to this new practice. And so he says, I think we should 
do this at the dinner table and force our daughters to do it too. (laughs) (laughs) So you can see he's a little out of touch, right? But anyway, so his his five-year-old thought it was cute. His 13-year-old rolled her eyes. They didn't really want to participate. So the parents said, you know what? We'll just do it in front of you. No big deal. And we'll keep going. And so they did. Now, two weeks after that, he gets a call from another dad at from, you know, from the daughter's school and for the older daughter and said, and the dad said, I've got to talk to you about what your daughter did at the sleepover recently. And he's like, oh no, what did you, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like alcohol, boys, both, what yes. am I going to hear now? So he calls the guy back and he says, all right, what's up? And he says, well, you know, uh, what ended up happening was your daughter decided to, um, because she felt like a lot of the girls at school were being exceptionally mean at the sleepover. She sat all the girls down in a circle and had them go around saying nice things about one another. Oh, wow. I know. (laughs) That's amazing. So what it shows us is that the more that we can be expressive of our positive mindset, right, the things that we're grateful for, the meaning embedded in the work that we're doing, this is with your teams, you know, talk the end user and how you're positively influencing them, the more that we engage in those kinds of practices, even if that other person's not participating, the incredible ripple effect we have. So saying your gratitudes, um, you know, journaling about meaningful moments, talking about the positive, that all has an incredible effect. Oh, it really does. Now, I want to talk about something that a lot of people struggle with, and that is a death. Let's let's talk about something we talked. You mentioned about you know how you view a stressful event, and I don't think there could be anything much more stressful than having someone in your family pass away—a death, maybe an accident or a sickness. How can we possibly take that and put some kind of a positive spin on it, or how can we even get through that without it pulling us down? A death or, and there's a couple other specific types of uh, experiences in our lives, like, you know, a chronic illness and that researchers study. And it's just, it's sort of in its own category, right? And so um, it, because it's so life changing and, and especially with the death, knowing that you're not going to see this person again, you can, my mom said this to me when I was young, she said, you know, when, when your grandmother died, her mother, she said, the thing that struck me was I could walk the entire face of the earth and I could never, ever, ever find her again. And to me, that's that, you know, I I mean that, that hit home for me. Um, I, I think with it is there's, there's two things. First of all, understand that, um, by judging where we're at in the grieving process, that actually oftentimes can put an additional layer of pressure on us that ultimately is unhelpful, right? So if we say, Oh, I should, I should be doing better than I am right now. Or, you know, why am I not feeling okay? Or why can't I choose to be happy in this moment? And because it's maybe been a few months or something like that, that doesn't help. We need to have that love and compassion. Um, But then also, uh, you know, well, I guess the second one's more about the, sorry, I came across this woman, Sharon, she's incredible. We were doing a project for a big box store and it was, you know, for all their associates. So when you do it for more than a million people, you want to make sure you get this right. Um, So we went on a a three city tour to go pilot the program. And in Memphis, the last city, this woman, after hearing her little spiel about the positivity project that we're doing, she came up to me and she said, ah, you're a happiness researcher. I'm the happiest woman in the world. You should study me. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, this can go one of two ways. Uh, And so um, I said, okay, well, tell me your story. And she said, well, so I met this, it took a a little bit longer, but I met this man a little bit later in life. And I, you know, he was just amazing. We got married. I was blissfully happy. And then um, my, about six months into our marriage, my mother, whom I was exceptionally close with, died suddenly of health complications. And so she goes on to tell me that her husband was there every step of the way as this incredible support system to her through the grieving process. And about six months after her mother had passed away, and she's just starting to sort of feel a little bit better, he gets killed in a car accident. Oh my gosh. I know. So I'm looking at her and you can imagine, right? My mouth yes. drops open, my eyes are wide. And I, I said, and so she sees my look on my face and she says, well, the reason I feel like I have the right to call myself the happiest woman in the world is that after a period of grieving for him, I realized every day I have a choice. I have a choice in how I show up at work, how I get out of bed. I can either stay where I am or I can choose to be happy and get my mind to focus on all that I have. You know, I might not have these two people that I absolutely love and adore, but I have all this other stuff. And it's just about getting my brain to to see it in those moments when I feel really sad. And and you know what? She was actually the most positive person. She comes in and she's like, she was so nice to everybody. And how are you? What's going on? If you need a listening ear, she was there for you. Um, people said that she was literally the happiest woman they knew. And uh, so it just reminds us there's a choice. And anytime, even in a moment that we can make that choice, even in the face of that big of a challenge, we're winning. Wow, that is a great story. Yeah, we're definitely winning if we just realize that we always do have that choice. So I like the way you've described that. I know your husband, Sean Acor, is your co-host on the PBS special. That's so cool. So you're able to work together with him. And so I imagine you feed off each other's positivity. Is that right? Yeah, it was fun being up on stage together. We don't really give talks very often together just because of logistics. And, um, but, uh, yeah, we were, so the first show, which was the happiness advantage on PBS, I was the executive producer. So I got to sit in the booth with a headset on and boss him around. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but the second one we did together and, um, and it was, it was fun because we had, we got to have the interaction, which I, I think that, you know, we did a couple, um, onstage exercises showing some of the principles and these communication strategies to help positively influence other people. And so it, it, you know, it it just sort of brought the science to life. Michelle, would you share with Mindful Tribe some of the changes that you've seen in people around you as you've been working on this project of happiness and mindfulness? Well, I, um, I realize, uh, you know, when I show up and I'm not in the most positive place mm-hmm. and I, I see what an influence it, it can have on other people. Um, so, you know, sometimes people would ask us, especially when our we have a two year old and when our son Leo was born, people would say, wow, two married happiness researchers living together. And now you have this baby. Is this baby going to be the happiest baby on the planet? <laughs> I said, no, you know, I mean, that would be awesome. And we're definitely striving for him to be really happy. But I think for us in, you know, and in our home, what we see is we, that we, you know, we still have our moments and, and we individually might be not in the best mood sometimes, but it's just about seeing when we're not living the research, we're 
you know, we're better able to recognize it just because we, we, this is what we do all the time. And we're, what we've been practicing is shortening the amount of time where we're out of our mindful, peaceful place so that we can get back to that spot more quickly. Um, but we're humans. And so, you know, so it's okay to be feeling some of these other emotions, I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know that I've learned a lot from my son. Have you learned a lot about happiness and mindfulness from Leo? Yes. So this is amazing. It's amazing to see how we as children, we came out wired for joy and being in the present moment and playing with our toys for you know yes. long stretches and just having fun. We don't think about deadlines and things we have to do and checklists and all that stuff. No. So I have been um, I've been so grateful to him. One of the big things that I have been trying to do is uh, when he invites me to play, I play. You know, I can't right. do that all the time, but when I can, um, and I set aside blocks of time during the day where I go and I do it because all of a sudden, all the, the, the importance of everything else drops away as I'm with one of the most special people in my life, just doing something right there, right then, and I can be fully present. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's amazing. Like when you watch children and realize they're not worried about what might happen tomorrow. They don't think very much about what they did yesterday. They're just in the moment. Yeah. So that's really, that's really fun. <laughs> Michelle, I've worked in bullying prevention for over a decade, and I've seen how mindfulness can make a huge difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a story about a bullying situation where mindfulness would have made a difference? Mm, that is a fantastic question. For a long time, I was working with an organization uh, and still stay in touch with them called Living Values. And what they try to do is bring into a school community the, you know, uh, the values that the school ha and the students and teachers have identified as important to them, but bring the, it into the curriculum uh, in many different ways so that it's top of mind. And, you know, values like compassion and kindness and uh, open expressivity, values that when they're fully expressed and the community is fully living them, it decreases the incidence of bullying. I guess the story from, from my time doing this work what, that I absolutely love was originally there was this one school and the kids were getting in fights on the playground and it was just a little bit rough and tumble and there was definitely bullying going on there. They decided to empower some of the older children with armbands and the ability to get the uh, get kids of all ages to sit down and talk through challenges, right? They gave them the communication tools and, and the power to do that. And it was remarkable. You know, if two third graders are fighting over a ball and maybe one of them's being mean about it, they could they could go and sit with the older student and they could talk it through. Not only did incidents of bullying significantly decrease, but also the kids just got along so much better outside of the playground and in just, you know, in the other moments in the classroom, uh, social cohesion went up. And so I think it reminds us, like, we sometimes look at these uh, situations as, as these insurmountable, you know, things that, oh, we have to do the um, huge things to, to move past where we are today. And what we see is it's actually those small changes that have the biggest effect. 
Right. Yes. I want to talk about story. And I noticed, Michelle, that you're an expert storyteller. Thank you. <laughs> and I think we all we all tell stories to ourselves about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And some of us are telling a story that's not very positive. And yet we can change how we tell our own story. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that. Yes. So this power of stories it's i think it's it's more uh, more powerful than almost anything we can do because the story is the seed and then once it starts to grow that's what predicts so much of the rest of our lives our brains are incredible processors we can process 40 to 50 bits of information every second of the day why that's significant is that from all of our nerve endings we're bombarded by more than 11 million bits of information every second. So what that means is inherently there are choices in how we devote our attention. Do we first focus on the hassles, complaints, and problems, or do we look at the meaning and the work that we're doing in our relationships, the good things that are happening, the things we're grateful for? And the reason why that matters is if we first devote our resources to the negative, we literally do not have any more brain power left over to focus on the positive. And those facts that we focus on, whether they're negative or positive, that's what fuels our story. So, um, you know, when I work with um, with business teams or with individuals, and there is clearly a story going on there that is not working for everybody, right? It's just, it's, it's low, decreasing potential, it's decreasing engagement or productivity. We talk about those equally true facts that might be occurring in that in that same moment, but together just create a new story. We basically fact check the story we have. Um, and it's something that for me personally was a really powerful thing to do. And, you know, when I was in my, my mid 20s, I experienced a year long bout with depression and um, and I did two things. It, one was I showed up at the gym every single day. And I, I'm an ex-track runner, so like literally almost fell off the treadmill that first day. <laughs> and I'm like, what is going on here? I'm clearly out of shape. But it was to do something with my body, right? To be present right. and mindful in with my body. And then for my mind, I looked at how can I fact check those anxious thoughts uh, and look for true facts in my environment that show that my job is actually not not going anywhere, you know, or my I do have people that love and care about me or whatever I was stressing about. I found facts that showed me a new reality. Do that enough. Eventually, your story changes. And luckily for me, it took about a year, but my story changed. And now I'm I think because of practicing those habits, I'm more resilient now in the face of a low mood than previously. I know that you've done a lot of study of the research that's out there, and you've mentioned some stats already, but what have scientists actually come up with to prove these these bits of information about happiness that you've been talking about? Yeah, if you want to drive your success at work, it is not about staying longer, working harder, or or a whole bunch of other things. I just actually read uh, one of those listicles that was like, seven entrepreneurs weigh in on the number one thing that they can do. And the last one was some guy and, you know, he's a very successful guy, but he was advocating sleep for just five hours a night and then take a 25 minute nap and do this for a period of two months and you'll get two extra hours back to your day. (laughs) It's like, oh my gosh, there's eons of of research that shows you, you know, most people, most people cannot, (laughs) cannot do that. Um, So I I think if you really want to fuel your 
success at work or in your relationships, definitely sleep. But besides that, invest in getting your brain to focus on the positive, on the empowering side. Because what we see is that a positive brain fuels performance. A positive brain leads to um, higher levels of optimism, uh, engagement, productivity, performance, uh, so much so, and just some numbers, which I think are fascinating. Optimistic salespeople outsell their pessimistic counterparts by 37%. Managers who get their teams to focus on all that they're doing right increase the entire team's productivity by 31% in a short period of time. Uh, if you are extremely supportive of the folks around you with a positive mindset and that spirit, 40% more likely to get a promotion over the next year than the people who are less so. Um, these are quantifiable examples of, of the impact that can have. And then if you do this on an organizational wide level, we did some research with and, uh, and work with uh, Nationwide Brokerage Services, which is a wholly owned subsidiary of Nationwide Insurance. And so they put in, instituted some new basic business practices. I'll give you an example. Um, and it was, they were all based on the research. One was the morning huddle where they did uh, they had everyone get together as a sales team, celebrate successes from the past 24 to 48 hours that the entire team might not have heard about, and then give an opportunity for anyone who needed a little extra support that day to speak up, and then their colleagues would rally around them. Very simple formula to start the day, but it, that, along with a couple other things, made a massive difference. Their new insurance application rate went up by 237% in 18 months, and in that same time period, their gross revenues went up by 50%, which is uh, not a small 50. It was actually to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and so what it sh and, and, you know, normally do those projects and the HR professionals were like, oh, that's great. But it was a whole bunch of other things that we were doing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the, the president of the company said, no, it's because we fully embedded happiness research and got our brains to positive. And that is what made all the difference. And I really believe it. It's alarming how many people are working out there in different jobs and they're not happy. And it's mm -hmm. bound to increase productivity. So I love your stats because, yeah, the bottom line must increase when people are happier. Michelle, do you meditate? Let's talk about that. I do. Uh, so one habit that Sean and I both have adopted I, I'll admit I don't do this all the time because I travel a lot, but mm -hmm. um, you know those 10 minutes from the time where they tell you to put your, uh, when you're on a flight, where they tell you to put your stuff in airplane mode and the internet's not working and you're just taking off? Yeah. So between ground and 10,000 feet, I try to sit and just watch my breath go in and out. So that's a, a time when I've tried to institute this practice. I do it otherwise, you know, and just around sure. the house too. But um, it has been amazing. Wow. Be yeah, because, you know, that's also a time. So it's just because like, usually you're, I'm, I'm trying to get to the gate. I'm trying to carry my son's stuff. We've got all kinds of stuff <laughs> yes. going on. And this is a moment to just be quiet and get centered. Um, and yeah, it's made a huge difference for me. Oh, that's fantastic. Michelle, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Oh, without a doubt, my husband. Because mm. he, uh, just having him in the house, either talking about it or I see him meditating from time to time is a great physical reminder for me to engage in the practice too. So how has mindfulness affected your emotions? I think the 
biggest thing I've learned over the last decade is how to be mindful about an emotion that I'm experiencing, not judge it and just let it pass through me, especially if it, you know, obviously if it's negative, um, as opposed to fighting or fleeing it in the moment and sort of exacerbating the response to it. So Michelle, tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. Mm, that I pretty pretty much think, well, when it comes to meditating, that is my mindfulness meditation practice. And then um, I've tried to develop an awareness when I'm holding my breath in more or I'm, I'm tighter, you know, my body is responding that way. Yes. Uh, and, and sometimes all it takes to relax is two breaths and everything changes. Now, I know that you have your own book, and I'd like you to mention that. Do you have any other books as well, uh, another book that you would recommend on the topic of mindfulness or happiness? Yes, absolutely. So my book is called Broadcasting Happiness, and uh, one of the key takeaways from it is that some of the information I mentioned earlier about your mindset and what predicts success. So you can test yourself right now on it if you'd like. You go to broadcastinghappiness.com, and there's a 30-question assessment called the Success Scale. So I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, And then the other resource that I would absolutely recommend, especially in light of of the work that you do in bullying, is my husband, Sean, and his sister, Amy Blankson, wrote a book called Ripple's Effect. And it's a children's book on bullying and how to overcome it with a positive mindset and a smile. So um, it's it's perfect for young kids all the way up to teenagers. It's about a, a dolphin named Ripple who gets put in a tank with a shark who's, you know, bullying everybody and how with the power of a smile and banding together with the other fish in the tank, they were able to convert the shark into someone who is nice. And so, um, so anyway, I, I recommend it. It's a fun story and a, a great conversation Kickstarter. That's super. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Mm. So there is, um, There's an app that goes along with headband called Muse. That's something that um, we've been experimenting with at the house. It's a a headband that allows you to meditate and listen to sounds. And depending on the sounds, you can kind of get a sense of where your brain is at in that moment. Um, It's almost like an EEG machine. Um, The technology is just absolutely incredible. So I'd encourage anyone to, to check it out. Yeah, and I use that as well, so I I recommend that also. It's very (laughs) cool to get immediate feedback, isn't it, Michelle? Yeah, it's amazing. It's almost gamification of a uh, an ancient practice, but you know, whatever it takes, why not? That's right. That's right. Well, Michelle, it's really been exciting to talk with you. Can you talk about your PBS special that's broadcasting right now? Yeah, I encourage everyone to check it out. It's called Inspire Happiness. And it talks about what, what we go, basically do is we tackle this belief that you can't change other people. And then because we find that it's scientifically false. And so we give some information from recent research from positive psychology and neuroscience that shows incredibly it, how incredibly powerful you actually are. But I think the the part of the show that I'm most excited about is we provide five concrete communication strategies that you can use with other people that help them see their potential, that help them get unstuck and move forward or go from negative to positive. So we give you sort of the the guidelines to how you can have these conversations that'll help your children, your spouse, or, you know, your colleagues at work see a new reality and in turn 
be happier, which hopefully will make uh, your choice to be happier much easier too. Oh, and that's that sounds really valuable. Now, is there any way those of us who are not in the United States would be able to see this program? Is it available to people elsewhere? I believe so. So we um, are having we have listings on our website of where it is, and okay. then uh, it will be also just available for purchase uh, in the spring as well, just online. Oh, okay, that's great. So, how can Mindful Tribe contact you and learn more about what you do, Michelle? Oh, that would be wonderful. So my the best website, just because it's easy to remember, is broadcastinghappiness.com. Right. We have tons of resources and we encourage uh, everyone to come visit and reach out. And if there, if anyone has a story that has resonated with them from their own life based upon some of the research we've talked about, I always love hearing these stories and then getting to share them with our community as well. That's super. Well, it has been great talking with you, Michelle. Thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you. You're a perfect, beautiful example of broadcasting happiness. And I'm so happy to have spent this time with you. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. Have a great rest of your day. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.